You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. It destroys relationships because people recruit their friends and family into the scam in good faith. They believe it. They think it's real. They get their family to invest. When it's revealed to be a scam, they go explain to their family that they've lost their money. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories this week. And later in the show, part two of Carol Terrio's interview with Jamie Bartlett. He's the host of The Missing Crypto Queen. That is the BBC podcast that tried to get to the bottom of the OneCoin scam. And we are back. Joe, why don't you start things off for us this week? Uh, Dave, this week I have a story from David Ovale at the Miami Herald. Okay. He wrote about a scam on WeChat. Now, for our American users who may not be familiar with what WeChat is, it's Chinese Facebook. You Hmm. can think of it as Chinese Facebook. However, it's much more than just Facebook. They do payment transactions through there, and there's all kinds of different networking things. It's got a billion users, mm-hmm. right? It's like Facebook plus plus, mm-hmm. and it averages a billion users a month. Really at the center of a lot of everyday life for a lot of people in China. Right. And Chinese people outside of China as well. Ah, okay. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's who this story affects. Okay. So the scammers targeted college students at the University of Miami by offering them a tuition discount for the tuition that they had to pay to the university. So the students didn't have to pay anything up front. So the, the scammers would say, just give me your, your login to your account portal where you pay your tuition. And the students, if they gave them that, they would log in and the students would see that their tuition had been paid. Really? Yep. Then the students would send payment to the people who pay the tuition, but they'd send like 15 to 30% less. So there's a financial incentive to pay the tuition to this discounted service. It's, it's like some kind of service that I don't know how they present it to the Chinese students, but they would offer them the discount. And of course, if the students would see that their tuition had been paid in full and then they'd happily pay the 85% or 70% of their tuition to the company that paid the tuition. Right. But then a couple of weeks later, there'd be a clawback of that money, right? Because that credit card charge was fraudulent. Oh. So these companies are using stolen credit cards to commit fraudulent transactions, then collecting real money from these students, and then the students are out most of their tuition money. I see. Right? Because university, when they have the transaction challenged, they essentially say to the student, well, you didn't pay your tuition. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Because now you still owe us the whole year of tuition. Because the university ultimately did not get the money. Uh, That's correct. Wow. Right. Huh. Interesting. So the student gets this message. They give their login information to the bad guys. That's right. They pay the tuition. Right. And the student sees that the tuition is paid in their account. Right. And then they send the money, a portion of the tuition, a large portion of the tuition to these scammers. Hmm. And that money they don't get back. No. In fact, there's a quote from the University of Miami police detective, Thomas Kerrigan. I'm no, sorry. Who? No relation. you <laughs> It's your, your, your long-lost cousin, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, I do have an Uncle Thomas that lives in Florida, but not, okay. in, not in Miami. <laughs> okay. Uh, he says they're out that money, and they're very distraught, and the students had no idea. But no, that money is gone. Hmm. And this is not the first time this has happened. This has happened at Penn State, uh, UC San Diego, and other universities as well. In fact, three years ago at the University of Washington, more than 100 students were scammed out of $1 million from this scam. Wow. 
So I suppose there's a, a veil of legitimacy here. This It must look like an up-and-up company. Do you have any insights on how they're convincing the students that this discount comes to pass? I don't know about that. And the story doesn't really go into how they convince them that there's this discount is legitimate. Mm-hmm. But the students do see that the tuition has been paid. Until that transaction gets marked as fraudulent, the university is fine with it. Once that person gets their credit card bill and says, hey, I don't go to the University of Miami. Right. They, they file a, a fraudulent charge complaint and the money gets taken back from the university and then the student is out the money. I can see from the student's point of view, they might say, well, what do I have to lose here? Right. Uh, because they're not asking me to pay them until they've paid my tuition. Right. Exactly. And once I see that the, my tuition's been paid off, I'm in great shape. I'll, I'll send them the money and everything's good. Yeah. But it ends up not playing out that way. It doesn't. And it takes about a month for the shoe to drop on this one. Mm. So the victims are out their money. And on top of that, their tuition has not been paid. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Somebody's essentially stolen these students' tuition money. Wow. Tuition ain't cheap these no, days. No, it is not. <laughs> I mean, if you think about this, 100 students at University of Washington getting scammed out of a million dollars, that's an average of $10,000 a person. Hmm. Wow. All right. Well, it's something to, to keep an eye out for. Certainly, uh, if you've got uh, any uh, friends or family who are attending a university, uh, let them know to be on right. the lookout for this sort of thing. It's... Yes. They're capitalizing on the fact that Chinese students come to America. They may not be great with the English language. They're far from home. And their connection is WeChat. And it's a very familiar environment to them. I see. I see. So sort of a, a trusted thing from back home. Right. So they've already got a feeling of, uh, I don't know, affection or uh, confidence in this. Right. They have some kind of affinity mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, affinity. That's the word I was looking for. Wow. My story this week comes from Bleeping Computer, and this is about a new extortion scam taking advantage of Nest video cameras. Huh. Uh, now, this starts out like a kind of thing that we've described before, and that's where you get a, a email that says, I have captured uh, videos of you behaving badly, uh, you know, while you were doing something that you'd be embarrassed for people to see you doing at your computer. Right. Uh, I took over your uh, webcam and I have video of you. And if you don't pay me this money, I'm going to release that video to the rest of the world and all your friends and family and you'll be very embarrassed. Right. And of course, they always say that I have hacked into your email as well and I have all your contacts. And Right. Yes. They have your get it. But they have your email address, but they also have your password. Right. And typically it's an old password yep. that they've taken from a, one of the big password dumps, one of the big databases that are out there. Well, they, the bad guys are taking that to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this scam, it starts out that way where they say, same sort of uh, email, we've, we've got some video of you, and then they send you to a web page. And when you go to that web page, that web page has live video feeds on it of Nest surveillance cameras. Now, it's not your Nest surveillance camera. It's just a Nest surveillance camera. And the folks who have been looking at this have uh, seen that the the video feeds are actually coming from Nest's official website. So I guess Nest has some demo cameras up there. Ah. And these folks have hacked into that feed or, or, you know, taken advantage of the public availability of that feed. Yeah, I think that's what they're doing because those feeds are just essentially, you can address them with a URL and put them in any website. Exactly, exactly. But what it does is it it lends uh, that extra bit of legitimacy to the scam because you go and look at this and you say, oh, these people are capable of hacking into webcams. They've got some webcams right here. And then they, they ask you to pay the ransom which can be a substantial. In this uh, case, they're asking for 500 euros in Bitcoin. 
huh. uh, or iTunes gift cards, you know, standard sorts of things. Right. But kind of taking it to that next level, they said uh, this has really taken off at the beginning of this year, and they've already seen uh, a total of uh, nearly 1,700 people have been victimized by this this year. And are, is that 1,700 people who have sent Bitcoin to these folks? No, no. I think uh, the, the number of emails that have been delivered where okay. people have, have sort of, you know, been been exposed to this, I suppose. I, I don't know how many people actually paid. I'd like but, to get a um, Bitcoin address. Of course, they could be having one Bitcoin address per email they send out. Those mm-hmm. are free as well. Right. But it's easier to manage just one Bitcoin address. And this scam strikes me as kind of a lazy scam, mm-hmm. right? So I would like to see the Bitcoin address because you can look at the the Bitcoin addresses online on a blockchain explorer and see if anything has been sent to it. Right, right. And see when it was sent to it actually too. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the evolution of these campaigns and how they grow more sophisticated. They yeah. try new things that they work. You know, I don't, I don't have a crystal ball or anything, but I can see, you know, looking towards the future that this sort of increased sophistication is probably something we can expect. Right. You know, if they're using these, just the Nest Cam demo feeds, that's also, it strikes me as lazy. That could have been done better as well. I'm not going to get into how it could have been done better, but it sure could have been done better. Yeah, well, there's no shortage of uh, unsecured web cameras out there. You go on to like on a Shodan. Right. Uh, look, look for yeah, them. Yeah, you can look for them on Shodan. There are other, other all, search engines as well. All over. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. There are literally thousands of these things around the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Lots of them. Yeah. All right. Well, that is my story this week. Uh, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day this week comes from the Scambaiters on Twitter. They are at the Scambaiters, uh, and that is an account that tracks these sort of things, collects them, shares them with the public for everyone's benefit. And this one, uh, Joe, this is a good one. I'm going to do my best here. You know, uh, our president of the United States, Donald Trump. Yes. Of course, he's kind of busy right now. He's got right. a lot, lot going on in his life. Yes. But he's not too busy to try to be helpful to people all around the world. He's reaching out personally to people to help them gather money that's been left on their behalf. Uh, let me let me just see if I can if I, I can do this justice. I think that's how he wins elections, Dave. This is <laughs> gives everybody millions of dollars. Right. All right. Let's see if I can do his justice here. Attention, my dear beneficiary. Assigned by the president, Donald Trump. Overdue fund released today. I am Mr. President Donald Trump, and I am writing to inform you about your bank check draft brought by the United Embassy from the government of Benin Republic in the White House. Washington, D.C. has been mandated to be delivered to your home address once you reconfirm it with the one we have here with us to avoid wrong delivery of your check draft worth nine million United States dollars, nine million USD that was assigned to be delivered to your home address by Honorable President Donald Trump. The president of this great country this week by a delivery agent, Mr. Rokas Jesus. Also reconfirm your details for the check delivery by filling the form below and send it immediately to our email for verification. You can also contact my phone number with your info. Best wishes, Donald Trump, president. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, pretty good, huh? This is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I love this. Ah, boy. I mean, this is so obviously a scam. I mean, we've seen hundreds of these now. Well, actually, now we've seen 83 of them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But but this one... I don't know who would fall for this. I, you know, well, as we talk about, there's built-in filtering here. By someone falling for this, you've already got a, a hot one on the line. 
Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> that is such a great point about all of these. Yeah. That the uh, the person that falls for it is the exact person that they want. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a funny one. And uh, <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Coming up next, we've got part two of Carol Terrio's interview with Jamie Bartlett. He is the host of The Missing Crypto Queen. That's a BBC podcast about trying to get to the bottom of the one coin scam. And we are back. Joe, uh, we got the second part of Carol Terrio's two-parter. This is her interview with Jamie Bartlett. He's host of the Missing Crypto Queen podcast, which you've listened to. I yes. have. Yeah. Yes. Good, good stuff. It is. And he went to try to get to the bottom of an interesting scam, the OneCoin scam. Here's part two of Carol Terrio's interview with Jamie Bartlett. Welcome to the hotly awaited part two of my interview with Jamie Bartlett, the host and investigator behind the Missing Crypto Queen. If you haven't heard part one, go listen now and then come back. We'll wait. We kick off part two with me asking Jamie to set the scene. So I asked him to imagine me sitting in a cafe or in a public space. I was someone who had missed the Bitcoin bus. Perhaps I was feeling a little bit disgruntled about that. How would a multi... Multi-level marketer. Yeah, that's it. Multi-level marketer. How would they actually approach me and make the sale. <laughs> you know, that's funny you should say that because the way that we first heard about this story was the, the BBC producer was actually approached by a friend of a friend who was basically evangelizing to her about one coin. Oh, wow. So what happened? She was just out with some friends. And like I said, friend of a friend was up to her and said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've found this new Bitcoin. It's amazing. It's called one coin. The price is going up. Oh, I mean, this is a chance to get rich. And she looked into it a bit and was immediately very suspicious and then found out that the founder was missing. And that was basically how we got involved. Huh. Assuming you don't know all the technology behind cryptocurrency, you're probably going to someone's going to approach you and say, you've seen Bitcoin, you've seen Ethereum, you've seen Litecoin, you've seen all these new cryptocurrencies bubbling around. This is another one. Don't worry about the technology behind it. It's really complicated. But the price is currently $1 to get one one coin. And we think that in a year's time, just like Bitcoin, that price could be up to $100 or $200. This is amazing. You know, this is really, you're on to a win now. And they'll always say, oh, I can't guarantee you'll make money, just like I couldn't guarantee with Bitcoin. <laughs> it almost adds to the trustworthiness of them, the fact that they say that. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you, you would couch your language that way, of course. And then they'll say, and check this out. Look at the founder. The person behind this, she is the most, forget all those weirdos in the cryptocurrency space. This woman is credible. She has a master's degree from Oxford University. She's got a PhD in law. And that's true, by the way. That's not invented. Look, uh, here's a, one of the things they would also often use is they would show a clip of her doing a big talk at a conference organized by The Economist magazine. Room full of bankers and financial experts. And there she is holding court, the economist sign under her. And then they would show a photograph of her on the cover of Forbes magazine, which looks really legitimate. But it was actually, when we looked into it, it was a, a paid advertisement <laughs> in a Bulgarian version of Forbes magazine, like the Bulgarian French. No way. And it, so the cover, it looks like she's on the cover. It's an advert, paid for advert. But in Bulgarian, it says this is a paid advert. This is a paid for advert or this is paid for content. But who speaks Bulgarian apart from Bulgarians, of course? Yeah. 
So if I do a search, because that's true, if I do a search just for Dr. Ruja on my search engine, I see these images. I see images like exactly like the ones you're describing. Exactly, exactly. So you don't really understand the tech, but you've heard about Bitcoin. You've read an article about some guy that bought a pizza and sold it for $10,000 or whatever. And you then go online and Google her and, she, and you've seen this video of her, the economist, she's got a PhD, master's degree, she's on the cover of Forbes magazine. And the seller is saying to you, don't worry about the tech, look at Ruja. Isn't she believable? Can't you trust this woman? And frankly, I'm not surprised a lot of people believed it because it's really believable. And a lot of people just thought it's worth a punt. It's worth a go. But to the tunes of billions and billions? Well, billions, yeah, but for each person investing five or 10 or 15,000. And that's quite important because a lot of people, when they looked at the Bitcoin story, they didn't want to make 10% on their investment. They didn't want to make 20%, which would be an amazing annual return. Yeah. They wanted to get rich. They wanted that this was the chance like Bitcoin to transform their lives. And the one coin marketers would say to really change your life, invest between five and 10,000 euros because that is the amount that in two or three years' time could turn into hundreds of thousands. That's a life-changing amount. And the thing about these cryptocurrencies, you've missed the boat with Bitcoin. You've got to remember with a lot of ordinary people, the minute that price of a Bitcoin got up to $100 or $500, they felt like they couldn't afford to buy many and make a lot of money. So the argument was you have to buy when it's at the beginning, when it's $1 or $0.10. Cents. That's the only way you're going to get fully rich. So you wrap all that up together, you've got a pretty compelling offer. Yeah, one that has proven to be very successful. Now, has this scam destroyed any lives? Have you met anyone whose you know, finances are completely in tatters because of OneCoin? The scam is still, on, is still rolling. There are still people today buying and selling OneCoin right now. There's a lot of people who don't know or don't believe it's a scam. <laughs> I'm coming out with this podcast basically saying to them, all your money's gone. I'm sorry, this is a scam. And that's a hard conversation to have, obviously. But I mean, I've been all over meeting people. That There's a, a, me and Georgia, the producer, we went to Uganda. It's very small. I mean, the remotest places I've ever been. A, a village that was right on the border between Uganda, Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo, 10 kilometers off a beaten track, 300 miles away from the city, the capital city of Kampala, where Dr. Ruja is a household name. And like everyone there seems to have invested in one coin. I spoke to one woman who she'd been working on her passion fruit plantation for 20 years. <laughs> and she'd been saving up for a maize store so she could stop working on the farm. And rather than buy the maize store, she put all of her money into one coin. Oh. 3,000 euros, which for her was a fortune. I met someone that had sold his goats. I met someone that had sold his land. I mean, this is happening all over the world. And did you tell them, look, it's not real? Did you try? We had such a weird experience, actually. And this is what makes pyramid scams, I think, the most insidious type of financial scam. We were speaking to this woman and it was the son, really, really good guy called Daniel, who'd also invested. The son had persuaded his mother to invest this money into one coin rather than by the maze store. And so he'd agreed to be like our translator to his mum because his mum didn't speak a word of English. So we're sitting there and I said to Daniel, okay, Daniel, can you ask your mother, how does she feel now she knows that one coin is a scam? Uh. 
how does she feel now she knows the money's gone? And he kind of didn't say anything. And then he looked back and he said, uh, um, I haven't actually told her yet. And I said, what? He said, no, I haven't. I can't tell. I haven't mm. been able to tell her. It's a scam. And then he says to me, now she's asking me, Jamie, she's asking me, do you know, do you have news about OneCoin? Is it a scam or not? Tell me. I need to know. I want to know what's happened to my money. And I was like, what am I supposed to say, Daniel? It's not my job to tell your mother. <laughs> so we kind of came up with a weird sort of holding answer, like, oh, we're just investigating. But this is the thing. It's, it destroys relationships because people recruit their friends and family into the scam in good faith. They believe it. They think it's real. They get their family to invest. When it's revealed to be a scam, they've got to explain to their family that they've lost their money. That is, a, oh, can you imagine that? That's terrible. No, it is terrible. And it also makes it really difficult to get a second opinion, right? Because you say, well, I want to ask someone else about this. And you're asking yet basically another marketeer what they think. Yeah, and it's easier. You know, the, one of the things I noticed about it was that it was easier to push those difficult questions or doubts you had to the back of your mind. No one wants to admit they've been scammed and they don't want to admit they've scammed other people. So one thing I noticed is that people would have doubts. They would know yes. something was up. But as long as OneCoin produced some excuse or some reason why there was a delay in getting your money back, people would grab onto that and believe it because it was easier than admitting the money was gone. What are you going to do when you find Dr. Ruja, if you find Dr. Ruja? If she still exists and is alive. There is a possibility she she isn't alive anymore. So I reckon I'm just, my personal estimate is maybe there's a 30% chance she's she's dead. Um, and by the end of the podcast, if anyone listens to it, they'll see how we worked out where we think she is. She's probably in one of two or three places. The search kind of continues. The FBI, are, you know, she's been charged in absentia by the Department of Justice in the US for <laughs> wire fraud, money laundering, securities fraud, and I think and also bank fraud. We're not the only ones looking for her. I mean, the FBI is looking for her as well. And if, if we did find her, well, firstly, mm -hmm. it would probably involve me chasing her down the street with a microphone. Because <laughs> I doubt she'll talk to us, although you never know. She's, she's apparently, she's such an interesting woman. Like She's so brazen. You know, she goes up onto the stage and talks about the financial revolution in front of thousands of people, knowing it's not real. Yeah. I mean, the courage required. So who knows? Maybe she'll phone me out of the blue. I sometimes think she might turn up at my house just to play with my mind, you know. But if I do find her, there is one question above all I just want from her, which is I don't think she ever thought it would get this big. That's my theory. I think she thought this would be a relatively small standard scam where I know this is a horrible way of saying it, but, you know, $10 million or something. Like an, you remember there was a lot of ICO, initial coin offering scams, where cryptocurrencies would come and go, people would invest a bit of money, it would collapse, nothing really happened because it wasn't a huge amount of money. And I think she thought it was going to be that. We can make 10 million euros, disappear, everyone will forget about it and we'll be back again. But because of this multi-level marketing aspect, because it was so perfectly done, brilliantly executed, she was so compelling, it just grew so quickly Mm. she couldn't control it and before she knew it she woke up and it was a billion euros then it was two billion then it was four billion and at that point you're trapped mm. jamie i so hope you find you're able to ask that question to her directly 
I'll be back on the show if I don't. <laughs> Brilliant. Jamie Bartlett, podcast host behind The Missing Crypto Queen, a BBC podcast. If you haven't heard it already, may I recommend very highly that you listen to it now. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. All right, Joe. Uh, whew, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot here. It is a lot. I, it, it breaks my heart to hear about the woman in Uganda who's given up $3,000 of her life savings that mm-hmm. she was going to buy a store so she could get out of the fields. Right. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Yep. There's an interesting thing that Jamie says in here that no one wants to admit that they were scammed. Yeah. Which is common. Yeah. Or admit that they have scammed others. Mm-hmm. Right. That is has got to be hard. It's hard to admit that you've been scammed. We've seen that a lot. But uh, can you imagine getting duped into something and then unwittingly duping other people into it? That would and be- And your family. In your, your family. family. Yeah. Yeah, these are your family and your friends, your closest relationships, mm-hmm. right? I can't imagine this. It, w- it would be horrible for me if I had done something like this. Yeah. I want to talk about blockchains for a minute. Okay. I kind of touched on it last week. In order to understand how blockchains work, you have to understand how a hashing algorithm works. Okay. And a hashing algorithm is a very simple concept, right? I take some input. It doesn't matter how big it is or whatever it is, but it puts out a what's called a digest or a hash of a specific length. Okay. And if I change that input a little bit, that hash will change immensely. Okay. And it should be very difficult to get from the hash back to the input. I see. And it should be very difficult to find two inputs that have the same hash. All right. That's what makes a good hash. Those are the three factors. The change, it's difficult to reverse engineer, it's difficult to find a collision. Okay. A block is just a a list of transactions. Mm -hmm. And then there is a random number in the block called a nonce. Okay. Which is just from for now. And what happens is I'm going to hash that block and then I'm gonna, maybe there's some kind of uh, restriction on how, what that hash is, how low that hash has to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how they maintain the timing of these blockchains, these public blockchains. But what it means is because that hash is so difficult to find a collision for that I have a very long public record of everything that has ever happened on the blockchain. Yeah, and that's kind of the point here, right? And that's the point, yeah. Right, yeah. And because everybody's working to solve for the hash in the blockchain network, then I have something called consensus, Uh right? And I'm I'm doing this at a very high level. There's a much lower, more deeper way to get into this. But just understand, as long as, like I said last week, as long as 50% of the nodes in the network are honest nodes or 50% of the power, the hashing power in the network is honest hashing power, then you can trust the network to have good consensus. Okay, well, bring it home for us. I mean, so, how does that relate to what to this story? It's very important you understand that because that's the foundation of cryptocurrencies, mm, okay. right? There's always a public blockchain that everybody can trust. And one of the problems with OneCoin is that there is no public blockchain. Uh, There's a blockchain, but you can't see it. Oh, so right. there might as well not be one. Right, exactly. And is that the point here, that it, there's nothing behind the, uh, the, the behind the, the man behind the curtain? Right. It's nothing actually there? That's correct. I see. And, and, that, and that's kind of my point going to, into all this. Because blockchain is designed as a publicly available database, mm-hmm. when someone says we have a cryptocurrency based on a private blockchain, that's a non-starter. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. That should be a non-starter for anybody. But that's a very technical thing to understand. Right. I totally imagine someone saying there's a lot of technical stuff behind here, a lot of hand wavy stuff. Don't worry yourself with all the technical. Right. All you need to know is we're all going to get rich. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, there's a reason I just gave that overview of blockchain and how it works. Okay. If you're out there and you're thinking, 
I have no idea what Joe's talking about. What's he saying? Yeah. What's he it's it, feeling I have almost every week on this show? <laughs> right. <But> go on. <laughs> but that's that's the feeling that they capitalize on. Yeah. And then you're exactly right, Dave. They say, don't worry about it. You're just going to get rich. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's never that simple. Yeah. It's never that simple. Mm. Yeah, like you say, it's it's heartbreaking. And it uh, the, the other part that fascinates me is the possibility that this spun out of control. Yeah. That this was conceived as a contained scam, a get-rich-quick scheme for someone, and we'll do our thing, we'll we'll take the money and run, and, and off we go. Right. But it spun so out of control that, like uh, Jamie said, this, this woman is trapped. Right. She's, she's caged in now. I don't know that she's dead. Yeah. My suspicion is that she is not dead. Hmm. I base that suspicion on the sheer volume of money she must have. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a billion dollars, that's a lot of money. This scam has taken people for, what did you say, $15 billion? Uh, I don't know if that's how much Ignatova has. Yeah. But she has a couple billion, right? Right. So, you know, with that kind of money, you don't have very many problems when it comes to getting whacked. Yeah. You know? uh, that, yeah. I, so I thought you were going to say that uh, you think she may be alive because just last week you heard from her and with no. an investment opportunity. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not going to say that, Dave. <laughs> you're going to be rich. <laughs> we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.